It is good to see everybody. It is good to be with you all. We got a treat today, uh, the topic that we're preaching on. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 4, verse 31 to 37. And uh, I tried changing the topic of the sermon on Friday, but uh, I was texting with Tiff. She leads our preaching community, and uh, she said, no, I wasn't allowed to, (laughs) and I had to preach on this. We're going to be talking about demons today. Um, So uh, I had to submit to her leadership and say, fine, uh, and preach on this, but uh, I was gonna. I was trying to preach up until verse forty-four, but we're we're gonna get we're gonna talk about demons today. But what I what we are going to do it's a little different. So we're gonna have Q and A at the end of this, uh, but we're gonna do it uh, virtual Q and A. So if you have your phone, which pretty much everybody does, you can go to Slido S L I D O dot com slash Zion Z I O N, and you can while I'm preaching just put in your questions there. So we're not going to, you know, be passing the mic or anything. I'll look through them. If I don't want to answer it, I won't. Um, If it's a good question, I'll share it. (laughs) And we'll talk through it. Uh, But that is Slido, S-L-I-D-O dot com slash Zion. You should get the Q&A come up. You can put questions in there. You can upvote other questions that other people put in. So I know if it has like, you know, six or seven likes, definitely skip that question. Uh, move on to the next one. <laughs> uh, so today, the, the the title of my sermon is Authority Over Demons. Authority Over Demons. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 4, verse 31 to 37. Um, and uh, the reason, you know, I was, I was like, Tiff, you really want me to spend 30 minutes talking about demons? She said, yes, because in her tradition, they never talk about this. In my tradition, this is all they talk about. <laughs> and uh, so I've heard everything you can possibly imagine uh, on this topic, uh, whether in person, online, in a book. Um, you know, when I was, I was a kid, I had to sneak read this book called The Divine Revelation of Hell. Um, you know, th- this is the kind of books that I was given as a seven and eight-year-old to read, uh, not like Dogman, what my son is reading now. <laughs> um But before we read our scripture today, uh, I want to read from Luke chapter 4, just a few verses up that John did last week, because Jesus is, it's the Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, as he always does, and he reads from Isaiah, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, he opens it up, he finds this verse, and he reads it, and I'm going to read it now, and I want you to pay attention Because what Jesus does is immediately after reading this, he says, this has been fulfilled in your midst, but then you see the fulfillment begin to play out. Over the next few weeks, we look at Jesus's authority and his ministry as kind of the last bit of introduction of the launching of his ministry in the whole book of Luke as Jesus shows that he is truly the son of God and has authority over everything. And the first thing, uh, you know, it's my birthday, but apparently going through puberty again. The first thing that he shows he has authority over is the all of the spiritual world, all of the demonic powers. And uh, so I'm going to read this. As Jesus just read this right before. 
He stands up in the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So two things that he said here that we're going to talk about today, to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and liberty to those who are oppressed. And so let's read this first story of his ministry when Jesus begins. After reading this, he says, this is fulfilled in your midst. Now I want you to think, we have heard all the stories of Jesus. So this is not mind-blowing to us. This is not uh, amazing to us or astonishing to us. But to the people that are experiencing this, there's nothing like this that is happening. Think about reading this scripture for the very first time, and you read about a person that has the type of authority that Jesus has, the types of things that he's doing are absolutely amazing. And so, or as Ellie would say, it's amazing. That's my daughter. I don't know where she gets the accent from, but she has one. Let's start in verse 31. And Luke writes, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching. This is Jesus' teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now here, when the scribes would, and the teachers would teach, they would teach from tradition. They would tell you what things meant, but they would never preach with authority, as we're very used to this type of preaching, handling scripture with authority. Jesus didn't quote any scribes. Jesus didn't quote any tradition. He just went up and he said, this is what it is, and he said it with confidence, which they were not used to. That's what's happening here. And in a synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. So they're sitting in church service, and someone got a demon in them, and they scream out, and he says, cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done, with him, done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. So what's interesting about this is demons or unclean spirits, um, an unclean demon as it's translated here in the ESV. You know, and I never thought about this until recently. They just come out of nowhere in the Bible. Uh, there, are, there are no demons in the Old Testament. Uh, they're, they're, this, this is a kind of a New Testament phenomenon, but it, what is even more interesting is that nobody is questioning what is a demon. So they knew, they had an understanding of what these unclean spirits were. They had tradition of what they meant and who they were and what they did. Um, but for us, if you're reading this for the first time, you're reading the Bible for the first time, and let's say you're reading uh, you know, through from, from book cover to book cover, then you get to this portion of Scripture, probably in Matthew, you'll see this first, and you think, what are these demons? You, you've never seen them before. 
And it's a, an interesting thing that happens in the New Testament, and there's a lot of what we call demonology out there about things that we learn about demons, but there's a, a couple of things that we can talk about um, to help ground us when we talk about this. Uh, there's a really good book and author, Dr. Michael Heisner, who is one of the foremost experts in the what he calls the unseen realm. Now, he is not some crazy Pentecostal guy that uh, it just makes stuff up, which is my childhood tradition, um, but he is a doctor in Hebrew studies, so he's an expert in the Hebrew language, and what he understands is what is, the, what is this realm, what is the unseen realm uh, about this? The Bible Project has a great podcast on this. Uh, if you have Spotify or Apple Podcasts, they have a great video series on this, but you can look at what the our spiritual fathers and mothers thought about this, and you get into certain texts, uh, especially the book of Enoch, that really Second Temple uh, Jewish understanding, which is where we are now in Scripture, the New Testament, how they viewed this world and where they got a lot of knowledge of angels and demons and things like that from, came from the book of Enoch, came from uh, the time of the Maccabees and all these different things. But the word that is important uh, in the Old Testament is Elohim. And a lot of us have heard of that word if you have a long time in the scriptures um, and, and as a Christian, you've heard this word used probably to refer to God. But truly, the Hebrew word doesn't refer to God. It refers to spiritual beings. It can refer to God. In the Old Testament, El is one of the names of God, which just means singular. It is the singular version of Elohim. And so when we say El, a lot that is God, no S. Elohim is God's with an S. But is not God's is not even a good word for us because when we think God's, we think of people like Zeus and Apollo and Jupiter and all these other gods. But there were also other spiritual beings. You have the cherubim, the seraphim, the angels, all of these different types. And we also have demons, these unclean spirits. These are the, the spirits in the unseen realm, the realm that we don't see, the spiritual worlds but that are unclean, that have been deemed unworthy, that have fallen from grace. Now, there's a lot of speculation on where they came from, but the honest answer is we don't know truly a lot about it uh, from Scripture. And as my son always asks, why don't we know more about the devil? Uh, my answer to him always is the Bible is not a story about the devil. The Bible is not a story about demons. The Bible is a story about God, his creation, and his relationship with his creation, us. We're made in his image. And so we have a lot about the, our relationship with God in the Bible because that's what it's about. We don't have a lot about demons and the devil because that's not what it's about, although they play a role in Scripture, and it's, an, and it's a role that we need to understand. And generally, we see their role is undervalued or underplayed or overplayed, and people think about it too much. And so our hope is we have a better understanding when we get out of this of what that means. Um, and so if you want to have a lot of fun Googling later, just Google the Nephilim, um, and you will go down a rabbit trail. And no, I don't want to talk about it when you're done. Just letting you know off the bat. I have ended friendships over too much talk of the Nephilim. Uh, that is not even a lie, <laughs> because 
people just get very obsessed over one verse in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, it's an interesting verse. I think it's an important verse. You know, people think there's only one rebellion in Scripture, but there's actually several rebellions in the spiritual world that happen in Genesis. One of them is Satan. We see another rebellion in Genesis chapter 6. We see other rebellions in Deuteronomy 32, uh, where what happens is God stations spiritual authorities over regions. Paul calls them authorities or dominions, where there are spiritual beings that were set in place authority figures over regions of the world. And those spiritual beings also rebelled. All we know is at the end, Satan becomes the head of all the rebellious spiritual beings. That's what we understand from Scripture. We can infer from Scripture, that he is the father of lies. He becomes the head honcho in all the rebellious spirits. And what happens when Jesus comes on the scene, as it seems like, the spiritual darkness has run amok among Israel. And it has run amok in such a way that one of a, a demon-possessed person can sit in a synagogue, or as we would understand at church service today, and feel no pressure, feel no obligation to leave, feel no obligation to manifest, and feel absolutely fine and at home among what is supposed to be the people of God. And I think that's a really interesting thing. So Jesus comes on the scene. The demons are feeling fine living in Israel, but not only living in Israel, but living in the people of Israel. And so Jesus comes into the synagogue and we are immediately seeing his authority and his power come into play here. And so the demon becomes very afraid and speaks up. He feels uncomfortable, this demon. Feels uncomfortable in the presence of Jesus. Feels uncomfortable. And, and so Jesus isn't the first one to talk to the demon. The demon is the first one to talk. And the man speaks, and he says, is this, we understand this, the demon speaking, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now back then, if people were plagued by evil spirits, whether in Israel or in the ancient Near East, what you would need to do is you would have to go through a series of rituals. Uh, some of us understand some of that is as the rituals that we go through now, whether it's rituals with crystal, whether it's brujaria, whatever it is that we go through, uh, we, we have the incense, all these different things that we would go and to make the evil spirits, the, the evil eye leave us. You know, in the East, that's, that's the evil spirit that brings bad luck. These, and, and there's rituals that we have to command these things to leave. And sometimes these rituals can take hours, they can take days, they can take a long time because you have to get everything right. And if you don't, you have to start all over again. It's kind of like a formula. But here comes Jesus and the demon speaks to him through this man and he says, shut up and get out. <laughs> and the demon doesn't talk back. What happens? He leaves. And so the people who are used to these long rituals to get rid of evil spirits are like, what in the world just happened? We see later on in the scriptures that their only thought is, 
maybe he's one of them and he's like at the top of the chain, you know, the, he's higher in the food chain. So they, it's kind of like an army where they have to leave. Jesus nips that in the bud and he says, no, you know, uh, an army divided, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I'm obviously not part of this kingdom. And so we see Jesus's authority immediately over the unclean spirits. This is his his first thing that he does in ministry is to show that he has the power even over the demonic forces of the world. Jesus doesn't need to do a ritual. He doesn't need to hop on one foot like I've been doing and my little girls have been doing through the house laughing, making fun of me the last three days. He doesn't need to do any of these things. He doesn't need incense. He doesn't need a long amount of time. By the power of his word, the same word that created the universe is the same word that is powerful enough to command these unclean spirits to leave. All the demons knew who he was. See, Jesus is going around, and what's interesting is in in his ministry at this point, nobody knows who he is. We've had a lot of prophetic words about him, but even his own parents are unsure. His own family is unsure about who this person is. But the demons knew absolutely that the time had come. The demon even asked, have you come to destroy us? They knew Jesus came to do something and who he was, that he was God. What they didn't know was that he was going to raise from the dead after they killed him. But that's a different story. I always wondered why did they kill Jesus if they knew that spelled the end. They didn't. They probably had a victory dance that night. But the thing that we need to understand is that demons do not have power. They don't have real power. This demon had a lot of talk with God. I want, you, I want us to see what he says. He says, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Basically, like, what, what are you going to do? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. See, the, the thing about demons, my experience with them, Scripture is they have a lot of talk. There's, and and that, is, that is Satan and his entire world, which is just lies. If, you, if you've ever met an insecure person, the first thing you need to know about an insecure person is generally they are overconfident when they speak. And so if you want to ever wonder and, and try to find someone that is insecure, it's, it's the one that always seems like they are confident they're never going to take anybody else's word in that they're they're the know-it-all. Those are, from my experience, some of the most fragile, insecure people on the earth. And Satan and his kingdom are very similar, where they will come with a lot of talk, they will come with a lot of authority, they will come with a lot of knowledge. James says that Even the demons know the word of God. They will come with scripture as we saw Satan enter to tempt Jesus and he quoted the Bible to him. They will come with knowledge and confidence and twist God, twist your thoughts, twist your experience, twist your history, twist your life to try to get in and have power over you. But the truth of the matter is, is that their scheme is to talk really big, but the truth is they have no power over us. That when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the again, and, and even before he did that, we see that he transfers the authority that the Father gave him to his disciples. He said, the same authority that has been given to me, I give to you. And so the, 
enemy actually has no power over us. And that the only power that he can have and the enemy will try to have is the power that we allow the enemy to have in us. And so the only demonic force that can have influence in our life, in our mind, in our family, in our home, are the demonic forces that we allow to have influence there. And the moment that we realize that demonic forces have no power and that the authority that Jesus has, the same authority that has been given to us, then there is nothing to fear and nothing to allow for the enemy to come and to have any power in our life. So the only thing that we should fear is God in life. We should never fear Satan and his minions. The scheme of the enemy, remember, is to always talk big. The enemy may remind you of your past. The enemy may remind you that you are nothing. And there are times where I have to agree with the enemy. I am nothing. I am a sinner. I'm the worst of sinners. That doesn't change the robe of righteousness that has been placed over me and the authority that Jesus has given me. So speak what you want. Say what you want. They're all true. When Jesus quoted scripture, I mean, when Satan quoted scripture to Jesus, it was true. But it wasn't the full story. It wasn't the full picture. It was twisted truth. How many know the best lies are the lies with a little bit of truth in it? The other thing about demons that we see in Scripture is that they oppress the vulnerable. If you, ever, if you read Scripture and you see how the demonic forces act, they are always oppressing the vulnerable. Jesus says he comes to set liberty to the captives, liberty to those who oppress. He is talking about the demonic powers here, physical and spiritual oppression. And his first act is to lift oppression off of this demon-possessed man. We talk about the vulnerable mentally, the vulnerable spiritually, the vulnerable economically, the vulnerable physically. They are targets easy targets of the enemy. Now, what this does is it shows the enemy's cowardice. It shows how truly low the enemy is, that their favorite targets are ones that are vulnerable in places of vulnerability. So you even need to understand for yourself when you are vulnerable. That's why it's so important to have Scripture as muscle memory. You know, when you practice something for a long time, if you've ever played a sport, then you realize that when you're playing your sport, you don't think about the mechanics while you're playing. You don't think about your practice. In fact, you shouldn't think about your practice when you're playing a sport because that will trip you up. What you rely on when you're playing a sport is muscle memory, that you've practiced this so often over and over and over again that when it comes time to the fight, when it comes time to actually play live, you're just doing what you've learned. You're doing what you've taught. And so when we are tempted by the enemy, so much, so much of what we have, we have no muscle memory of Scripture. We have no muscle memory of worship. We have no muscle memory of being in the presence of God, that we are just vulnerable every single day to the schemes, the lies of the enemy, because we have not sat in the presence of God daily and practiced the presence of God every single day. We haven't practiced Scripture on our lips. We haven't practiced worship in high times and low times. We haven't practiced being around community when this enemy tells us it's best to be isolated. We haven't practiced all of these things, so when the enemy comes, we are sitting ducks. We have no muscle memory of scripture, of worship, of community. 
the very tools that Jesus gives us to fight off the enemy. And so we, we don't know for sure a lot of the beginning states of the people that were oppressed, but we always know their ending state. Physical, sometimes physical slavery, always spiritual slavery, but they are generally homeless, destitute, and rejected by society. That is the end goal. The very small things that we are promised that feel good will always end in death and slavery. Doesn't matter what sin the enemy uses, the enemy's goal has always been, from Adam and Eve, has been the death and slavery of all humankind. And when you see the very representation of demonic forces and you see them outplay like they do here, you see always death and sin, slavery to the spiritual forces, to demonic powers, and not good states. But the thing that we need to understand as, as God's people, that yes, it's, it's very easy. We, we see the outcome of the demonic forces. We see the physical depravity, the spiritual depravity of people that are possessed by the enemy, that have listened to the lies of the enemy, the, the honey. If you read Proverbs and you read, you know, it is similar to the, the, if you read the Proverbs of the prostitutes and what will happen if you go down the line of the prostitute, it is the same as going down the line of the enemy, which is they, what they say, what the enemy will say to you to get you to sin and lead you to death will always be sweet as honey. Will always be sweet as honey. We don't sin because we hate it. We sin because we love it. It feels good. It sounds good. If I just miss another prayer time because I want to do this instead, if I just miss another service because I want to do this instead, because it feels better to sit on my couch, because it feels better to watch a show, because it feels better to do whatever it is, those are temptations and lies from the enemy to keep us from being in spiritual life with Jesus and to lead us and walk us into spiritual depravity and slavery of the enemy. But I can't talk about all this without talking about one thing, and that is deliverance. Because there has been a misnomer around this word. And I hear Christians constantly very scared about being possessed by a demon. Now, it is my thought, what I believe is the Bible scripture, it is impossible for a Christian to be demon-possessed. And the reason why is because Jesus and the devil will not live in the same temple. As we read here, Jesus walks into the temple, and what happens? The demon has to leave. He speaks up. What are you doing with us? Jesus says, shut up and get out. When Jesus enters into the temple of my body, the demonic forces can no longer live there and stay there. And so when I am under the covering of Jesus, there is no possibility that I am also under the covering of a demon or Satan. And we have to understand that. Because what happens is, this is where it gets overplayed, that, you know, Christians will come up and say, well, I have a demon in me. You don't have a demon in you. You've probably been listening to a demon. You have a lot of bad habits. 
that you need deliverance from, let me tell you that right now. But an altar call will not fix that. I want to be clear. See, what most Christians want is not deliverance from a demon. They want deliverance from their bad habits. You want deliverance from the Twinkies at night. Right? If, if I could get deliverance from that, please just pray over me now that I'll never eat one again. I read a funny meme. You know, the only cells in our body that are saved are fat cells because those are the ones that never die. <laughs> right? We want deliverance from that pornography addiction. We want deliverance from that affair but we're unwilling to confess. We're unwilling to do the hard work of sitting in the presence of Jesus every day. We want deliverance from our foul mouth. We want deliverance from different people. But we're not willing to sit in the fruit of the Spirit. You know, fruit, I, I learned a lot about gardening because now I have a garden, that it's basically nothing happens unless you take care of it and it will be overgrown and kill everything. I have four dead trees in my backyard to prove it right now. I'm leaving it there as fall decoration for the next few months because I really don't want to throw it out. When we don't tend to something, it cannot produce fruit. When we don't tend to our spiritual lives, guess what? It will not produce fruit. And so if you think that a prayer is going to fix 10 years of not obeying Jesus, guess what? You got something else coming to you. A prayer can be a starting point. Prayer has been, should be the starting point, has been my starting point for many things. But guess what? My life has to change. My calendar has to change. My morning routines have to change. My nighttime routines have to change. The amount of times I say sorry to people and to God has to change. That I ask for forgiveness, I live in repentance. It has to change. And we developed a culture where we blame everything on the demonic. And so we have Christians that go from altar call to altar call to altar call because, well, I have a demon. Listen, I have, I have been oppressed by demonic forces before. I remember one of the, the clearest times for me is I had a roommate when I was younger, and this guy was oppressed with uh, a spirit of lust. Just, I've never seen anything like it. You know, it was the first time that I realized how much beauty can be great, but also be a curse. This man had, quite frankly, just sex with everybody, people his age, people older than him, people much older than him. I've never seen anything like it. Anywhere we went, there'd be somebody flirting with him. Anywhere that we went. And he would constantly fall into it. And I became his roommate for a little while. And for weeks, I didn't understand. I was having intense sexual dreams every single night. Every single night, I'm, I was waking up and I'm talking, I don't, I don't get with it. I've never had it to this degree. I mean, I'm a guy, it's happened before, but I've never had it to this degree. I mean, every single night, it felt like a weight would come on me and I would have these dreams and I would, intense temptation like I've never had before. And so I told him and he was like, man, I've been dealing with this forever. And so we prayed against this spiritual oppression because that's possible. And when we don't understand our authority, demons can have a playground, a field with us and oppress us in every which way. But when we 
attribute everything to the demonic and to demons, and we think everything is a demon living inside us, well, then we just haven't been living in Scripture, ultimately. And we need to live in Scripture. And so I think if you're afraid of demons, it's because you haven't read all the accounts in Scripture of the demonic. And we're going to be reading a lot as we go through Luke and to see how useless and generally scared demons are. Of Jesus always of his disciples most of the time. But I think the question that I had after this was, are you the demon or are you the disciple? We always want to be the disciple, but I think a lot of us have been acting more like the demon. The demon sensed Jesus' presence and was irritated by it and used a saying that can also be translated in the Greek as let me be. Have you ever just been in your sin? You didn't want to be around people in church. You didn't want to be around the church. You didn't want to be around Jesus. And if somebody confronted you on it, or if the Holy Spirit convicted you on it, your first response was just let me be. To get irritated at somebody or something that is calling you out. That is the demonic response to the presence of God. Let me be. And let me tell you, I've been there. But the disciple has been given the authority of Jesus and the freedom of Jesus to stomp on all spiritual powers that oppose God. And we have to understand that. That you maybe feel tempted by the enemy, you may feel oppressed by the enemy, You may have met someone that is possessed by the enemy. But that is nothing to fear as we walk in the power and authority of Jesus. He is the ultimate power. He is the ultimate authority over all the spiritual worlds. Satan thought he was when he brought the temptation. He said, I'll give you all of this. That would have been the easy way to Jesus's inheritance and what he ultimately gave as his inheritance to us. Satan is always offering us the easy way to what God has already promised. He offers momentary happiness. God offers eternal joy. He offers momentary pleasure through things like security and money. God offers us eternal security, eternal pleasure in his presence, and long-lasting value in his kingdom. Jesus could have said yes to Satan and said, well, I'm owed that anyway. We are tempted. It's very easy to say, well, I should have this anyway and be mad at God. But in truth, James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and over time, he will flee from you. Why? Because the devil cannot stay in the presence of God. And as long as you Resist and stay in God's presence. The enemy cannot stay around you. So determine in your own life, are you being tempted by the devil? Do you have bad habits that need deliverance? And do you truly understand the authority that Jesus walks in, that he has transferred over to his people? I want to remind you that Q&A is open. I'm going to take a few minutes for that, but I want to pray. Father, I thank you 
I thank you that your power is greater, that your power is stronger, that through your death, resurrection, that you prove that there is none who can defeat you, that you are the ultimate authority, you are the ultimate power, and in you we can live and be free. All right, I'm looking at Slido, S-L-I-D-O, dot com slash Zion right now. We're going to have a time of worship in a little while and a time of prayer, but we're going to start here. I answered the first question. Can you be demon-possessed even when you are saved? Possessed? No. Do you believe that demons can be operating within the church? Absolutely. We see the demon in the synagogue here. What does God say in Revelation to the church if they are lukewarm? He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth, meaning no longer be in the presence of God, no longer be part of his body, that you literally are vomited out of the body of God, which is what we are grafted into. And so when that happens, yes, he calls some the synagogue of Satan, Jesus says. And so we have to realize that they can operate within the church. Why? Because unfortunately, I've been in a lot of churches where God's presence doesn't operate within the church. Do people not know they have demons in them or around them? I would say around them, people don't know for sure. Um, in them, probably there are some that don't know, but I would say that you, the people that I've seen free from demonic oppression, um, I didn't interview them after. I'm not being funny, but it's true. I didn't. So I wasn't sure if they were aware of it. Um, but from people that I would say have talked about, I would say it is possible to not know that you are possessed by a demon. But ultimately, if you look at the people in Scripture, the wide range, in most of those cases, it was an obvious that a demon was operating in them because of the place of depravity that was, their life was brought to. Why weren't demons in the Old Testament? That is too big to answer today. Go by the unseen realm we see lots of spiritual powers in the Old Testament. We see lots of spiritual beings in the Old Testament. A quick answer is it could be a translation thing, that the Old Testament is Hebrew speaking, the New Testament is Greek and Aramaic speaking, and so they use different words. It's a different culture to describe different things. But generally, in the Old Testament, you do see spirits, but a lot of the spirits that are talked about are the higher up ones, the authorities and powers that govern regions and places. Can elements of pop culture be demonic by nature? Absolutely. Um, yes. Are possessed people robbed of agency? Uh, I would say that's a yes and no. Uh, we see times where they are, and we see times that they are not. Uh, but can they be? Yes, because when it, someone is possessed, generally you can see that the, the demon can um, speak or take control at whim. 
uh, when they want. And so, but can people go around their life and have agency during that time? I would say yes. But again, we're getting into extra biblical material. Um, these are things that scripture doesn't speak to explicitly. I'll answer a couple more questions. How do you know the difference between demon possession and mental illness? This is a great, great, great question. Um, the fact of the matter is I've seen both sides of that coin. Mental illness called demon possession when it's not, um, and uh, demon possession called mental illness when it's not. Uh, the hard thing about this is to be possessed will lead you to mental illness. And so it is, but are, if you are mentally ill, does that mean you are possessed? The answer is absolutely, unequivocally, no. That is not the case. But um, when it comes to possession, if you see constantly in Scripture that there is mental illness involved in this, where they mentally, they usually are brought back to their uh, good state of mind after the demon leaves because what is causing the mental illness is the possession. Now, how do you know? Is it mental illness? Is it a demon? That's a case-by-case -case basis. You can't give a blanket statement. That is why one of the gifts of the Spirit is discernment, so that we can discern between spirits. Is this something that is spiritual happening, or is this something that is physical happening? Personally, I believe in wisdom, in a council, a plethora of people, where you have psychologists, therapists, and spiritual authority speaking into a situation to try to discern what is going on with somebody if it is unclear on the surface what is happening. I often compare, characterize my unhealthy thoughts, patterns, addiction as demons. What are your thoughts? So I don't we cannot, if you are a Christian and you profess Christ, you cannot blame a demon for your actions. You solely have responsibility over yourself, over your actions. Can a demon influence your actions? Sure, just like my kids can influence my actions towards anger or towards happiness, a demon can influence your actions towards sinful behavior. Anybody can be influenced by anything. When you give anything a power or authority to influence you, meaning you listen to it, you take its advice. That's why I think non-Christian counsel we have to be very careful with because whatever we give advice authority over us will in influence our actions and influence our future and influence our life. So if you are feeling like there is a demonic oppression or spiritual authority that is not of the kingdom of heaven that is influencing your decisions, then I would say get somebody that is more spiritually mature than you to walk you through how not to live out that lie anymore and to walk into better habits in your life. The Christian life can only be walked out with accountability and with community. Don't do it alone. Last question. If demons don't really have power, how can they know your thoughts and past, etc., and oppress you? So the power I mean here they only have given power, um, meaning demons are not omnipresent, omniscient, and all that stuff, but they obviously have knowledge and know things. And so just because I know your past doesn't mean I have power over you. And 
Only if you give me power over you can I have it. And so all the power that the demonic world would have over a Christian is, you have to understand, given authority. Okay, remember that. It is given authority, meaning that you have given it to them and you can take it back because there is no point. But a demon without authority from you cannot do anything over you. Why? Because God says in Revelation, no one can snatch us from his hand. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. There is absolutely no way that a demon and God can both have authority over your future at the same time. It is just impossible. I'm going to wrap that up. You can keep leaving questions. I believe this will stay open to the end of the day. If we get some good questions or you really want help, Maybe I can post something on Mighty Networks. Maybe we can do a follow-up Q&A at Blend on a weeknight or something like that. I know there's a lot of questions and thoughts around this topic. Um, the worship team is going to come up and sing one last song uh, before we wrap up. But I will say, remember that question. Are you a demon or a disciple? Is your response to God, leave me alone? Is your response to God's people, leave me alone? Is your response to God's presence, leave me alone? Or is it one where I run to him in repentance, in sorrow, in love, knowing that I'm loved, cared for, and, and absolutely um, giving grace over my life and over everything? Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite you all to stand uh, while we worship. Alicia is going to lead us in one last song.